Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Been a sputtering start to the National Hockey League season for the Edmonton Oilers. Few, if any, predicted the team would be out of the playoff picture more than a quarter of the way through the 2017-18 campaign, considering their run through the playoffs last season that saw them come one game away from the Western Conference Final. But here we are at U.S. Thanksgiving, and the Oilers sit in 14th spot in the West, five points up on the last place Arizona Coyotes and five points behind a half dozen other teams and a wild card playoff spot. I'm Craig Ellingson. This is the Oil Spills Podcast for Thursday, November 23rd, 2017. I talked to Hockey Hall of Fame writer Jim Matheson, who was on the road with the Oilers in the middle of a five-game trip, about the team's continual stuttering. I caught up with him as he was about to leave Detroit, where the Oilers beat the Red Wings 6-2 on Wednesday for Buffalo where they'll play the host Sabres on Friday. Maddie, the orders are well out of the playoff picture here, and it's U.S. Thanksgiving. Uh, we've been talking, you know, particularly this month leading up to today, that if an NHL team is not in a playoff position at U.S. Thanksgiving, then... 90% of the time, they don't make the playoffs, and here the orders are. I know they just won in Detroit last night, but it's a, it is a steep hill to climb. Uh, it, it, the points they're behind uh, the wild card, the last wild card, you know, isn't insurmountable. It's just that there's a number of teams ahead of them that they have to jump over to get to that wild card, card spot. Um, and it's always difficult in games where there's three points available, two for the win. You know, the loser points and everything, it's tough to gain ground unless you win all the games outright. So I, if they'd lost last night in Detroit, I'd say kiss the playoffs goodbye because they would have been six games under 500. That's way too many games under 500. But they did win. Uh, we shall see whether they can put two good games together in a row actually win two games in regulation on the road in a row. Last night in Detroit was the first time it's happened all year. The other three wins were in overtime. So uh, I'm not about to jump up and down yet. They they beat an average Detroit team last night badly, 6-2, to two, in part because they played so well and in part because Detroit was awful. So um, 
we'll see where it goes from there. But they need to win not just one game in a row, not just two games in a row, not just three games in a row. They need to win five games in a row so they can get back over 500 before they can actually start thinking about the playoffs. Now, getting to this position here, I mean, you know, we've, we've been talking about why why haven't the owners been performing? Why can't they, you know, string wins together? Uh, you know, this is a salary cap era. I mean, the Oilers obviously have been bringing players up and down. You know, Jesse Pugliarvi was with the NHL team now. He was, you know, arguably doing okay enough in the AHL to warrant being called up. And, you know, there's injuries too, uh, you know, sending down Kyler Yamamoto. But, you know, in, in this modern day and age, you know, since 2006, this is what happens to teams, isn't it? Uh, if you're sputtering like the Oilers are, you know, regardless of whether or not they're a Stanley Cup favorite or not, if you're a team that has promise and sh- should make the playoffs and you have a start like this, what can they do? Well, the coach moves, moves the uh, the chairs on the, uh, the deck chairs around uh, fairly liberally from line to line, players from line to line. Hope that works. Hope some players who are struggling play with better offensive players and they get their game going uh you move defense pairs around which the orders have done because Clefbaum and adam larson did not play very well after the first game of the season when they beat calgary three nothing he's done that he's moved players around uh they've called up pulley who has been pretty good he scored he played his his best game was his first game where he scored he was better again last night where he scored, there were some games in the in between where I didn't really notice him all that much. But he had, does have two goals, and he had one goal all of last year, so he's already ahead of that base. So that's good. But there's usually no cavalry coming from the minors because you look down at your prospect uh, list in Edmonton, and their best prospects are defensemen, not forwards. And if Pulleyarvi's here, there's not much else there in uh, Bakersfield. And then you look at the waiver wire. Hope that maybe somebody puts. Uh, a veteran on, on waivers that maybe you can pick up. Uh, or you make a, a, a trade like Mike Camilleri for UC Jokinen where you trade a older, versatile, more defensive player, Jokinen, for Mike Camilleri, who's got some offensive ability but is also 34. And neither player is um, necessarily at the top of his game right now uh, in terms of uh, uh, point production or goals so they've done that but last night Camilleri was on the fourth line with uh, Latestu and Zach Cassian so and he did look pretty good but I think they brought him in to be a third line player not a fourth line player so whatever the owners have done this year it's been it's met with minimal success let's put it that way they haven't really been able to catch fire with anything they've done you can't even say, "Oh, I've had, I've got one line that's just lighting it up like the line in St. Louis with Braden Shannon, Tarasenko, and Schwartz that just gets, you know, a couple of goals every night and four or five points." Because you know Todd McClellan doesn't have that either. So he's up against it. He's just got to live with the players he's got. Now, if this team does not, you know, gain some traction and catch some fire move up the standings and we keep getting more of the same. I'm playing devil's advocate here because who knows, they'll, you know, they might win in Buffalo on Friday, they might win in Boston on Sunday, and that's that's a three-game winning streak they haven't had yet this year. But if this path continues, uh, is I would assume Peter Shirelli 
would he start working the phones a little harder? Would uh, certain players who might, you know, fans might think aren't on the way out, could they be on the way out? Uh, is the coaching staff, I mean, do you look at them? Do you make a coaching change? I mean... You make no coaching change. I mean, if, I know the fans, that's that's always the fallback for the fans. Yeah. Well, what about McClellan? Well, no, he's a very good coach. I always that one thing about hockey, they fire their coaches way too quickly. In in the NFL, if you've got a good coach, you know, you know whether you're in Pittsburgh or wherever else, you change the players. You don't change the coach. And and Todd McClellan's a good coach, so let's put that coach thing aside. He's not getting fired, no matter how the orders play. He's not getting fired. Now, I'm sure Mr. Shirelli's plan was, okay, the orders will be playing kind of like they did last year, and at the trading deadline, he'll be adding because he needs, you know, they've got some room to wiggle with their cap space on like a lot of teams so he can add players. But if they're out of the playoffs, well, then he's he's divesting himself from the from players who are unrestricted free agents. The primary one would be Patrick Maroon, who, you know, in a normal sense would probably be re-signed, but the orders are going to be out of the playoffs. You know, teams start calling about Maroon, then he's got to listen because he's an unrestricted free agent. And um, he's also a big body uh, in a league that's pretty fast right now. So he could be traded. But if they trade Patrick Maroon and they're out of the playoffs, that's not going to happen for several months yet. So there's going to be no moves I don't see right now for any veteran players for veteran players. I just don't see it. So. I'll just live with what they got until uh, trading deadline. You know, I know that the you know the situation for the Tampa Bay Lightning last year isn't like Edmonton's situation this year. You know, they uh, they missed the playoffs. They're currently the best team in the league uh, with the high scoring forward line in the league. But Steven Stamkos was injured last year. They didn't make the playoffs, and here they are this year. I mean, it it does happen when teams that should be in the in the playoff conversation aren't. For whatever reason, it does happen, and it also happens conversely, where a team like the Colorado Avalanche, which was horrendously bad last year, has played very well this year. I don't know how you can change it as quickly as them with basically the same players. I mean, they they got rid of a few players, but you know, it can change very quickly in the NHL. You can be really good uh, and then fall off like Tampa did last year. Uh, Montreal, you know, for a while was really good, and the last, you know, now they're bad. Um, so uh, it does happen, but I think I think most people thought that Tampa Bay was an aberration. Everybody likes Tampa's lineup. Everybody expects Tampa to be a Stanley Cup contender, and they just had a run of injuries. And Stamkos being out last year didn't help them, and um, you know a whole bunch of things. They just didn't play very well. They, they didn't miss the playoffs by a lot, but they just missed them. So. In the Oilers' case, I mean, I think it's pretty clear they overachieved last year. They got 103 points. They overachieved. Everybody had a career year. I'm always leery of, of writing that, you know, a player has a career year because often that career year is only one year. It's not four or five. It was that one year, and then it's tough to replicate. Cam Talbot was tremendous in his 73 games last year. It hasn't been as good this year. Uh, Patrick Maroon had a career high, 27 goals. Um I think he's got six now. Mark Letestu had a career high 16. 
last year as the fourth line center and on the power play where he had 11 power play goals he's got four goals right now um the young players you know that they were counting on for the Oilers after playing so well in the playoffs last year like Slepeshev and Kajula and Cassian um Slepeshev's been hurt a lot Kajula's starting to come on now and uh, Cassian still hasn't scored a goal so you factor all those things in and it adds up to to a team that you know isn't as good and once you dig a hole in this league there's an awful lot of parity and you can't win games even even teams that don't look very good still beat good teams you know from night to night in this NHL although as I wrote uh, earlier in the week there is a lot of parity in the league but the orders have been been beaten by three goals at least seven times one third of the time of their games this year which is not a sign of parity so when the Oilers lose it's usually bad which isn't good but when they win they win 8-2 they win 6-2 doesn't seem to be much middle ground with the Oilers when they beat a team they beat them badly when they lose they lose badly there's not much middle ground I mean is there something there though I mean the way they win like, you know, like last night's 6-2 win or beating well, the Vegas Smash team eight to two. You know, it's not a two one three two game that they're winning. So is is there anything that you know, if you're a fan, to cling to hope that hey, you know no, what, these guys know what they're doing. To hang your hat on. No, I don't know what you would hang your hat on. To be honest, um, you hang your hat on the fact that the orders are really good in overtime. If you can get to overtime, and the chance of them winning in overtime is are better than most teams because they've got McDavid and Drysaddle. Uh, I guess you hang your hope on the fact that Andre Secker will be back sometime in early December to help out the defense. Um, but I think it's pretty clear right now that in a league that is getting faster by 5 to 10 miles an hour, it seems like every year, where, where an awful lot of teams have 170, 175-pound players roaring up and down the ice, the orders aren't as quick uh, as some teams. They have the fastest player in the world, McDavid, but their overall team quickness isn't as good as some teams, which gets them into trouble. Uh, if the if the team won't let the Oilers play to their strengths, which is the cycle with Maroon and 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 Lucic and you know and Drysital and Cassian and stuff, if teams won't let them play to that strength, they often don't look very good. Now I'm switching gears here. You're just at the brand spankingest newest arena in the NHL last night the Little Caesars Arena how does it compare to Edmonton's old and clunky one year old Rogers place just it's kidding better. it's better I know they don't want to hear it but it's better mind you it's 863 million dollars uh, they kept upping the price on it adding stuff the concourse is tremendous there's so much stuff to do in their concourses for kids and walking around there's so much stuff to do that a lot of fans don't go back to their seats because there's lots of stuff to do lots of stuff to eat lots of stuff to, to look at and uh, the seats I like the seats better because they're more uh, vertical uh, for a fan um, certainly the seats are more like they are at Montreal Center you're right over top of the action uh, they're more sloped um, in Edmonton uh, Edmonton's, you know, obviously is a very, very nice building. But the way it works in 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 uh, the entertainment world is you have the nicest building, and there's always somebody who's going to help build one that's going to be nicer. And you know, the one in Detroit 
to my eye anyway is nicer um from a from a press box uh standpoint certainly it's nicer um couldn't be much worse at joe lewis which was the worst press box in all of hockey and the rink was the worst in the league but you're right over the ice and and the amenities and stuff are great and uh and I'm lucky enough to have seen all the buildings in Detroit in my time. I got one game at the Olympia. Uh, the first year of the orders were in the NHL uh, before they tore it down, where Howe and, and uh, Del Vecchio and Terry Sawchuk and all the great Detroit players played. And then uh, Joe Lewis, when it was a nice building before it got run down, and now uh, Little Caesars. Um, the only thing that stayed the same is the pizza is the same as it was at Joe Lewis. Uh, the Illich's own a pizza company. Now, do you remember what the press box in the Olympia was like? You were there for the one game. I don't. I think, as I recall, it was pretty Spartan. It was not uh, to the uh, uh, degree that uh, we're accustomed to in, in uh, 2017, for sure. I just remember being in it and thinking, why, you know, driving up to it and thinking, oh man, this is the Olympia. As I did when I drove up to the Chicago Stadium for the first time, as I did when I saw the Boston Garden for the first time, and um, Madison Square Garden and Maple Leaf Gardens and, and uh, you know, the Forum of Montreal. They were iconic buildings and they had a charm of their own. And, uh, but, I mean, the Olympia, you could put, Ten Olympias in the size of the in the Little Caesars arena. You know, it's, it's like a dinky toy compared to the size of the Little Caesars. You know, of all the arenas you've been in, because you've been in not just NHL arenas, you know, for the last thirty-eight years, but WHA as well. You know, Cleveland, Birmingham, you name it. Wherever the, you know, the New York. What was the New York team in the WHA called? I can't remember. The New York Raiders. Yeah, they played <laughs> in the shopping mall. <laughs> I mean, of all in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, Cherry Hill, New Jersey, actually, yeah. Yeah. Well. I mean, you are, you know, you've mentioned those original six, uh, you know, buildings, all of which are gone now. Uh, I mean, of any of the any of the buildings you've been in, do, do any of the, you know, in any era, I guess, you know, do the, any of them compare to, to something brand new like the Little Caesars or Rogers Place or any of today's modern arenas? Is there something about, you know? Well, I I, I always loved the. Forum of Montreal. It had a certain smell to it when you walked into the building. Maybe that was the Shen Show, the hot dogs. But you know, it had a clean. It was clean, and it and it had a certain hockey barn smell to it. I kind of like going in there. But no, nah, that the in the old days, the rinks were hockey barns. They were hockey rinks per se. Now, the arenas that hockey teams play in are entertainment uh, venues. They're big on concerts. They're big on everything that's on in the building. It just so happens that a hockey team plays in them, and you know they're they got all the amenities for the players. The dressing rooms are beautiful and um, and everything like that. Way better than they used to be. But the the new rinks are not. They're not hockey barns. They're just you know entertainment venues and, and it's beautiful, but not quite as as I I remember them back in the, in the day with the Forum and. And uh, you know Maple Leaf Gardens and such. I guess I'd be remiss to uh, you know not mention the Coliseum, Rexall Place, Colise- North Island's Coliseum. Uh, I mean, I know it's not the Montreal Forum, but you know here in Edmonton, and this is an Oilers podcast, so I bring it up. 
uh, they're going to shut it down at the end of the year. Um, I know we've already said our farewells to it a year and a half ago before last season started. Um, I don't know. What does that make you? How does that? What do you think when you realize that, hey, the Coliseum is going to shut down and it's likely going to get bulldozed? What do you think about that? Well, I don't know. I mean, let's put it this way. I spent all my WHA days and, and you know, years and years and years in the building in the NHL and I'm yet to, I have not been back in the building since it moved to Rogers place so do I miss it uh, yeah but I, I don't know if it's much different than if you have a house and then you move to a different one you you kind of miss the neighborhood but the house you move to a different house I you know it had a, a certain charm to it the sight lines were great uh, you could walk around the building you know, you could go to the rink and see. You know, say to somebody, you'll see between periods, and you could actually see them. In the new rink at Rogers Place. If you're sitting in one section, you can't necessarily go meet somebody in another because that's not what your ticket says. And the, and the press box was unbelievable at Rexall because it was right over the ice, and you could actually hear the players talking. And uh, and it was also you could, you could walk from you know one side of the rink all the way around because it was circular. Um, and see somebody so I missed that but you know the lighting in it wasn't very good towards the end um, you know it, it, it lost its charm yeah I mean for me personally you know having grown up in Edmonton watching the you know the Gretzky Oilers yeah I mean I just think about you know, all the great moments that happened on that ice sheet I mean they won four Stanley Cups there and never mind all the great games they played and all the things that they did but I guess uh that's just me speaking yeah, as a you fan. Remember the, the, you remember <laughs> the games, but not necessarily the building. Yeah. Uh, you remember your memories of the games and the players, not the building. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I, I, the last time I was in the building was earlier this year, uh, actually playing a men's beer league game. And I was thinking about it. I thought, yeah, it was probably the last time I might step in here. And, you know, what, where did, uh, you know, where did so-and-so score this goal or whatever and on that, what position of the ice? I mean, obviously, it's the same ice sheet for thousands or hundreds of thousands of games. But, I don't know, that's just me, though. I'm a little nostalgic, so. Anyway, I should let you go, Matty. You're running off okay. to Buffalo, so thank you very much. I will. You're welcome. That's our Oil Spills podcast for today. You can subscribe to our show on SoundCloud and iTunes. I'm Craig Ellingson. Talk to you soon.